We prayed for the children. Let's pray for us. Would you join me? Dear Lord, thank you for each unique child who left. Just uh, You could catalog the ways they walk. Each one has a different pitter-patter of feet as they head to class. Thank you for their eagerness and excitement. We ask that you would feed us on that same eagerness as we come to hear your word. Lord, we gather together because we know you love us, because we, you, we know that we need you, and we need your help to, as we often say, go back into the world with strength and courage. And so we pray you, pray you would fill us with those two things now. In your name, amen. Well, good morning again. My name's Dean Miller, and I'm a longtime friend of Christ Church Vienna. I've been here often. Many of you know me, and I know many of you. It's always a gift to be here. Um, we are partners together. I'm the pastor of a small Anglican church called Church of the Ascension, which has been on a bit of a migration right now. We meet in the afternoons in Annandale at a church called Cornerstone E.B. Free Church, and um, we trade, Johnny and I trade preaching. We, we had our, your own Blair Burns with us a few weeks ago, which was really great. Um, and we often partner together on series. So we're starting a new series together today, here this morning at our church this afternoon, called Loving the Stranger. And I'm so glad we can do this together. It's always a gift to, be, to let my church know, hey, there's other people doing the same thing we're doing. So thank you for yet again joining us in something. I want, just a quick question as we jump in. Have any of you ever felt like a stranger? Been in a setting that you felt weird, don't look at your spouse, just ask him about you, where you felt odd or weird, like things were different, right? I grew up, my family moved around a fair bit, and I often changed schools. So part of my own narrative is I was in 10 different schools in the 12 years of school from first grade to 12th grade. 10 schools in 12 years, and I wouldn't do that again, right? And I wouldn't do it, my kids, I've been in essentially the same school district, they have friends from first grade in the grades they're in now. Part of that because there's really good things about that experience for me, but also some things that were not so great. And that means I felt like a stranger a lot. So I was in a different school, fifth grade, sixth grade, twice, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, and tenth grade. I was the freshman in a four-year high school, and then I was a sophomore in a three-year high school, which means you're the low man on the totem pole twice. <laughs> I'm still in therapy. It's coming along real well. So when I walk into a school like this, I'm like, man, I've been here and done that. My school, three-year high school is bigger than this school in Oakton probably put together. Three-year high school, two campuses. You had to walk across the street. So you can imagine getting sort of settled in ninth grade and then going into 10th grade, right, and feeling like a stranger. My folks moved between 7th grade and 8th grade. I grew up in Southern California, but we spent two years in Annapolis, Maryland, so we moved at the end of seventh grade back to California between seventh and eighth grade, which, as you know, can be a little awkward, right? Nothing personal, but yes. So, and, and at that point in time, you could, the clothing of, of that generation was not the seven stores you find at Tyson's in every mall across the country that sell basically the same thing, right? There was the preppy Annapolis, and I moved back to Board Short, California. And I remember being like, wow, I just got up to speed there, and now I'm totally off. Right? And trying to explain to your parents, like, no, none of these clothes work. you got to burn them. Start over. <laughs> Why? Because you don't want to be a stranger. right? You don't want to feel weird. It's hard. And what does it mean to love a stranger? That's what our series is these next few weeks as we step into Advent. 
We're doing it for a couple reasons. One, we're, we're doing it because Jesus was a stranger. Part of the story of Advent is seeing Jesus come from somewhere to us. Jesus was one of them. If you're looking for a way to, to spark your imagination during Advent about that reality, I'd encourage you to read a book by the novelist Anne Rice called Out of Egypt. Some of you have probably read that, but it's worth rereading if you hadn't. I'm giving it to all my parish council and all my staff tomorrow for Christmas to read. Because you get a little sense of what it might have been like to be an 11-year-old boy coming to Israel who had grown up in Egypt. He was weird. So we're doing it to be reminded that Jesus was a stranger. We're doing it to be reminded that we're strangers. We are sent. We are supposed to be strangers in this world. We are marked and noted by something different. And we want to be like Jesus with the same courage as a stranger, the same embrace. And then again, we're doing it to be reminded of who we are together. What's it mean for us to live in this world, to love the way Jesus loved? You'll have readings. We have bookmarks for our church tonight. You guys have a, a whole morning prayer guide that you all put together that have the same passages you'll be reading, we'll be reading with some prayers. I'd encourage you to pick this up and walk through it with your community and us together. And our hope in many ways, Johnny and I's hope, because he and I have been talking about this for a while, is that, that this will be a push, a spiritual push for us in this city, in this time. Because right now we are having a very hard time loving the stranger. Right? It's much easier to love our own, however you want to define your own. And you know this is a complex issue, right? Like our whole diocesan synod just a few weeks ago in McLean, and our diocese in the Anglican Communion covers North Carolina to Maine, our whole synod was on immigration. We spent three major plenary sessions listening to someone talk about immigration and loving the stranger. And in the midst of that, you knew it was, it was complex. Our little church, which is about a third year size, we have people who work for immigration. We have the, the person who authored the almost passed bilateral, bipartisan immigration reform that President Bush tried to get across, which now it would seem like it co would come from Mars. And we have people in policy and all the different things, teachers who've wondered if that if students get, they might get deported, what does that mean? How do they love this stranger? Like, this is not a simple issue. So we're not looking to necessarily lay out a political reform movement here, but we are looking to offer our hearts to the Lord and say, Lord, help us know what it means to love the stranger. So if you have a Bible, and if we can put up the slides for Genesis 11 and 12 again, that'd be great. We're going to start this morning with Abraham. This is a good passage to know backwards and forwards, whether you are talking about immigration or anything else, because it's one of the pillar passages in all of Scripture. One scholar says this is the thematic center of the Pentateuch, so Genesis through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. This is the passage, these few verses. And in many ways, this is the narrative theme of the entire Bible wrapped up here. This call to Abraham and what it will mean down through the generations for Israel and for you and me, because we're stitched into these passages. This call is reaffirmed to Abraham later, and to Isaac his son, and to Jacob his son, and to Judah his son, and to Moses, and to the ten tribes of Israel, and to Joseph, Jesus' father, and by Peter to the Jews, and by Paul to the Gentiles. So if you haven't spent much time in Genesis 12, I'd encourage you to do so. And Abraham is really the biblical hero of the gospel narrative up to Jesus. The hero. 
Hebrews 11 is sort of the hero's roll call of the Old Testament and the New Church up to that point. And you could call it kind of the Avengers Assemble team of the New Testament is the, are the names in Hebrews 11. Most of them get one verse. So-and-so, one verse, so-and-so, one verse. Moses gets six verses. Moses is a pretty big deal. Abraham gets 12, 12 verses in that chapter. And this is the beginning of his story. We find out there's a man named Terah who leaves this city called Ur and he takes his son and their families with him and there's one of these sons is named Abraham. And the major distinctives of Abraham is he's a son and he's a husband. And he's a husband to a woman named Sarah. Now if you're a woman here and you think about all the ways you'd like to be described, this is so and so and she's, and think of all the gifts you have, all the skills you have. What the narrator makes sure we know about Sarah in this passage is she is childless. She's barren. Make sure you know that about Sarah. I'm sure if you ask Sarah, what do I want to be stitched into God's word for centuries, that would not be the first thing she would say. And this, this word barren is a metaphor for hopelessness because it means there's no human power they have to invent a future. Abraham and Sarah, when they die, will be done. There's no way they can create a future for themselves because they've been married for years, they haven't born children yet, it's pretty clear they're not going to have children. So that's how the chapter ends, chapter 11. And then yet, chapter 12 starts with this new thing, this voice of God, the same voice that created the world in the first chapter of Genesis, speaks to this man and says, Go. Go, go, go. And, and God is very clear. Leave your country. Leave your people. Leave your father's household. Because I am going to do something with, to, and through you. Now, that command meant leaving his inheritance, leaving his family. Again, leaving a future. He was his father's Second son, the second remaining son, there are two sons left. He's basically saying, okay, I won't get anything from my father because go means go. Leave your father's household and go, go be what? Go be an immigrant, right? Go leave your home city where you've been for a while, Haran, and go to Canaan. Go be a stranger. Go be weird. Go be them, not us. Because God has some bigger plan for Abraham and for Sarah and for you and me. So what would you do, given that choice? What would you do? Imagine trying to communicate that to Sarah. Hey, honey, the strangest thing happened. By the way, I know you're barren. Now look, we're going to pack up. We're going to have a lot of kids. We're going to have all these heirs. Right? If you're Sarah, you're thinking, what are the divorce laws in Haran at this time? <laughs> but what does he do? He gets up. He leaves the comfort. He leaves what's known. He leaves what's safe. And he leaves. He goes. The verb for him leaving in verse 4 is the same verb for what God gave him. Boom. Go. And it says, and Abraham went. He gets up and he goes. He goes over 400 miles into Canaan. It's hot. It requires organizing possessions and relatives. His nephew Lot decides to go with him of his own accord. Food, water, all the tensions any of us have felt. All of you who've moved here, who migrated here from somewhere else in the country, which is most of us, 
All the things you experienced, Abraham experienced, with no promise of a job, right? God didn't say, go here, work on this great committee on the hill. It's a promotion. They leave with no seeming reason to hope other than the word and promise of God. They are no children. They're utterly barren. There's no land. Those are the two things you need. And those are the dominant themes that will drive the story of Abraham. If you read through Genesis, you will see seed and land will be the things that drive that story. All they have are the promises of God, each other, and their strangeness. So as we enter Advent, and we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, make us like you, Lord. Help us love the stranger in our waiting and our repenting and our anticipating to borrow Johnny's word. What can this passage teach us? I want to make five brief comments. First, a reminder again, if we call on Jesus as our Lord and Savior this Advent, then we too, like Abraham, are strangers. It is who we are to be in this earth. It's your primary identity with Jesus before anything else. You're a heaven citizen before you belong to Christ Church Vienna, or before you'd say you're a Democrat or Republican, before your ethnicity, any other piece of our identity that are God-given and important and vital and significant still are secondary to this first call of God. You and I are called to be weird. And distinct. This is earlier in Hebrews 11 than all the verses about Abraham. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Foreigners and strangers on earth. In some ways, looking to the world like you're always a bored, short, wearing eighth grader in a land of preppy clothes. So first, we too are strangers, like Abraham. Second, being strangers is for God is actually a blessing. It's a blessing. You won't always feel that way. My first day of high school in 10th grade, I was dreading going. I did not want to be anywhere near a new high school. I had already gone through the low man on this totem pole thing. And in retrospect, I would look back and say I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. And I loved being at that high school, and it was an utter blessing to go. But it didn't feel that way initially. The word bless is used in this chapter in Genesis five times. God says to Abraham again and again, I will bless you and make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. And all families of the earth will be blessed. Five times. Numbers in scripture so often matter. How many times do you think the word curse is used in the first 11 chapters of Genesis? Five times. Five times cursed. And now, here's this man and wife. Barren, no land, will be a blessing, an utter blessing. God is reversing all that we have done in our stupidity and brokenness and rebellion in the first 11 chapters through Abraham. It's a counterweight. Being sent as a stranger by God is a counterweight to the curse of the world. And this is how significant you and I in walking with God, knowing God is. Because that blessing passes down to us. All the families of the earth shall be blessed through us. You and I are stitched into these verses. 
Next Sunday, our church will do lessons and carols then. And what I will, the way I'll intro that story then is talk about this is God's story we are stitched into. You are in this story as you hear the passages. You can think about that when you all do it on the 23rd. Being a stranger is a blessing to us. Third, being a stranger demands intimacy with God. It demands looking strange by prioritizing a relationship with someone the world might not understand. Listen to what Abraham does. He travels to Canaan. And in Canaan, there are plenty of gods to worship. It would be safer and less strange and less weird to align yourself with those gods. It'd be safer to go to those places of worship, maybe offer a little candle to Yahweh, and then keep on moving with your wife and your nephew and all the vulnerability you feel. It would feel safer. But what he does instead, in verse 7, 8, 9, and 10, is he builds two altars. He takes time and energy to construct an entirely new place of worship to that God, the one who's called him and sent him. And in that way, he stamps his very pilgrimage with worship and by worship. His path of strangeness is stamped by worship with God not by worshiping the local gods. He aligns his heart, his mind, his family, his schedule with the Lord who led him and sent him. And what he does in, that, in that, those steps is he makes a break with the past and he chooses a new path. And when you read the Old Testament scholars on this, all the way they're describing it is describing what we would describe as conversion. Or the way Jesus describes you must to his disciples, you must Take up your cross and follow me. You must leave your nets and your boats and follow me. This is Abraham, their forefather, our forefather, showing us what it looks like. Leave Haran. Don't take your old gods. Build an altar to me. In doing that, in Abraham doing that, he is teaching you and I what we are to do. We are to consistently build these same kind of altars with God. Our schedule our space our life our energy should be marked with that kind of time and intentionality with God there's basically no other way to thrive as a stranger in this world without it you're going to see in verse 10 we'll talk about in just a second he doesn't build an altar in a real time of crisis and something bad something very distinctly bad happens Fourth, being Jesus' blessed strangers, right? We're strangers. It's a blessing. We must be with God as this type of stranger if we want to thrive. Then you and I, thriving strangers, are not just to coexist with each other, but we are sent to bless others. We are sent to bless others, and I don't know how you respond to that. Up till that point, I'm pretty good with it. Great. I like being blessed. Oh, five times less. That sounds great. Love it. But the real means of grace in this story is through Abraham, not just to Abraham. Right? Isn't that great? We all want to pray, Lord, bless me. Lord, do this for me. How often do we pray, Lord, take the blessing you rain on me and use it through me to the world and to others. But in fact, this is God's intent from the beginning. Selecting Abraham and Sarah, pulling them out, blessing them in such a way that they'll go and bless others. One scholar says, God blesses Abraham to be his blessing bearer. 
God mediates his very blessing to the nations through Abraham. God blesses Abraham to be his blessing bearer to the nations. And if you read the text and you understand scripture and you listen to all the passages from Lessons and Carols in a couple weeks, you'll see that God blesses you and me so we can be blessing bearers. You could actually put your name in there. God blesses, put your name in there, to be a blessing bearer to the world. God loves strangers like Abraham to be a blessing to strangers in the world. God loves Christ Church Vienna, this strange church, led by a strange rector who I love, to go love the world in Vienna. If this is so, then it means we have to take on God's heart. We have to live like Abraham. We have to live like Jesus and be willing to go. Both of them to bless have to leave something and go somewhere. And you can think of all the ways we talk about that. It means moving, reaching out, stretching out your hearts, being awkward, leaving your comfort zone, risking. You've been blessed by God to bless the world. And especially those who feel or look or are strange. Because that's in fact who you are in the eyes of God. Especially those who feel or look or feel strange. You and I should immediately understand and empathize with a stranger in whatever setting we're in. Because we should know what it's like. I don't know about you, but when I read the front page or I hear people talk, or I watch certain things, I realize by giving my life to Jesus, I have made myself odd. Not everybody agrees with me. I don't agree with everybody else. And what I'm called to do not is to wall up against the weirdos, but to go love as a stranger. Think for a second, again, I don't know many churches who do such a good job of this as you do, so I'm in some ways preaching to the choir. You're going to hear a story after I preach that will will accentuate that, but pretend for a second you don't have any clue about loving a stranger. What it might feel like to come from another area of the country or another area of the world, to might be here legally or illegally. What might it look like to feel like a stranger? You might feel separated from what was known and safe, You probably won't understand the clothes or the customs or the language even of being here. You might feel incredibly hopeless and like your future is uncertain. Maybe even barren. And what might we call that? Might we call that Sarah? (laughs) Might we say that's what our foremother was? Barren, uncertain, no human way to bring a future to bear. And wouldn't it mean something if as a means of God's word to the world, we'd help people like that catch a sense of hope and future? This is Hebrews 13. It says, some by welcoming others with hospitality who blessed strangers welcomed angels. Some who bless strangers could actually be welcoming angels. Think for a second about your community. And is there a place where you could easily identify, boy, that part of my community could use a blessing. 
could be a building you drive by. could be some friends in your neighborhood where the marriage is in trouble. could be friends at school that are having a hard time who have maybe learning disability or language issues or just frustrated and angry about being a teenager, which is a noble calling and a difficult calling. Could it be, couldn't we understand this passage to mean that if there's a lack of blessing in our communities, it's because the church is failing? Because if you and I are the designated means of blessing to the world, then if you're going to blame somebody or point a figure, shouldn't we start with each other in this room? Isn't that a sobering Christmas word? Because this is what it says. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And if we all call on Abraham as our father, which we will do during Advent when we read Matthew 1, couldn't you tie a bit of an implication that if there's a lack of blessing somewhere in our community, it's because we're dropping the ball? I mean, would we expect the pagans to be the means of grace? One of the most moving things, experiences I had ever here, and I have that pretty much any time I come with you, it's a blessing, but is your guys' Christmas gifts on the Sunday when you bring those forward for the local kids. It's incredibly moving to watch because you're being a blessing to a place in the community that needs to be blessed. And why shouldn't it be you to do it? So fourth, again, you and I are blessed to be a blessing, not just for us. Fifth and last, being strangers, loving strangers, we'll find ourselves in this world facing difficulty. And in those difficulties, we probably will make some mistakes. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. The first paragraph of Abraham in chapter 12 typically ends at verse 9. Then it's verse 10 starts, and you get the whole Egypt section. And if you're me, you might think, gosh, if I follow and I obey God, nothing's ever going to be hard, right? Lots of people in this room have, have been leaders to me on how to love Jesus, and you know it's not. You would never, if I, if I stood up here and said, just love Jesus, if I told the team, just love Jesus, you'll never have difficulty, you should all shout me down, right? You know from experience that's not true. But here in the text, you get Abraham right off the bat. There's famine in the land. Come on. God, I just followed you. I obeyed you. There's famine? Really? Like, I obeyed you. We don't have the kind of car we want. I obeyed you. I'm not married. I obeyed you. Our kids are difficult. I obeyed you. Our church is frustrating. I don't like the worship. I obeyed you. Johnny's annoying. I obeyed you. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right? <laughs> that would never happen. That's my church. That's me projecting. There's famine in the land, and why is there famine? Why would God send Abraham to Canaan for famine? This is an Old Testament scholar named Joyce Baldwin. It's in situations of human helplessness that provide occasions for God's power to be demonstrated and recognized. It's in situations of human helplessness that provide occasions for God's power to be demonstrated and recognized. Because you're not a stranger to God. And what Abraham doesn't do in verse 10 is build an altar. What is so striking in the lead up to those verses 
as he built altars. And when times got hard, when being a stranger got hard, he decided to come up with his own way. And what happens is he goes to Egypt and tons of implications roll out. And if you understand the, impl- the, the themes of Abraham, seed and land, he's not supposed to leave the land. He's supposed to hear and hold the promises of God and instead he leaves. And if you're the, the, the Israelite hearing this story around a fire, you go, no, 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 don't leave the land. Because it never goes well and going to Egypt never goes well. And that's going to happen to you and me. You're going to have famine. And it's going to be begging questions for you, how you want to love the stranger or not, or whether you are blessed or not, or whether you can be a blessing or not. Sometimes as a stranger, it's just easier to despair. Sometimes as a stranger, it's easier to come up with your own solution, right? Like call on God, wait on God in this land where we're surrounded by Canaanites and have no food. It's in situations of human helplessness that provide occasions for God's power to be demonstrated and recognized. And that is what Advent is. We stop, we anticipate, because we are helpless. We are helpless. They waited centuries for John the Baptist, and centuries. It's why Zechariah doubted and went speechless, because he couldn't believe it. It felt so helpless. Because God's promises remain. He was faithful to Abraham. He brings him back from Egypt. And if you keep reading, I encourage you maybe tonight, read all of chapter 12 and the first couple verses of 13. You know what he does when he gets back to Canaan? He builds an altar. Who says people can't learn? Come on. So how can we stretch out our heart this month? To love the strangers in our midst. I want to give you two things to think about. Think about these two terms. Others and altars. Others and altars. Who are the others in your community that you can love this month? There might be real specific people that come to mind now. It might just be saying, Lord, each morning between now and Christmas, I'll say, Lord, help me notice the strangers in my midst and to love them. Yesterday, because of of course this passage is front and center for me, I was in Whole Foods. Two men were helping me at the checkout and they're both speaking a language I did not understand that sounded like it was a million miles an hour so I said to them where are you guys from and they're both here from Nepal now we had a four-minute conversation about their time here that was all but I got a chance to affirm them as distinct here what would it mean to do that I often get coffee at different places around. My church is spread out, and I'm often in and out of Vienna for different things. So I get coffee at your Pete's down the road, which is the only drive through Pete's I know of in the area. And then at your 7-Eleven here, just at the end of the high school. And I've been start thinking this month as we've started this series, how often the places I go, if I go to Starbucks or the 7-Eleven in my city, the people that are at those are almost never the same people. And most of the people at 7-Eleven would feel like strangers. It's mostly folks who are blue-collar, probably not from America, many Latin America coming in, getting food. They're bo- both places are getting food and coffee. But they're strangers to each other. Maybe this month you go somewhere else for coffee. Go to Starbucks, go to 7-Eleven. Go to 7-Eleven, go to Starbucks. But try to engage 
Try to risk. You're going to have to go. It doesn't, isn't just going to happen. You're going to have to be the ones to risk and try something. What would it mean to love others? Have you, this month, you should probably have, you probably will have people visit here that will be new faces. And you're enough, you're small enough, you probably know if new people come in. What would it mean to be someone who extends to those folks, that gets up? These are difficult seats to do it in. People do all kinds of church growth dynamics. These are not great church seats for that type of study. But what would it mean for you to be the person who says, Hi, my name is, even this month. Most of the research says it takes almost five years for someone to become a Christian now. From like initial spark to become a Christian. So if someone comes here or to my church or any church in the area who loves Jesus and takes the initiative to do that, you got to know it was a very long journey to get there. So the least we could do is empathize with a stranger, right? Let's practice for a second. Hi, my name. You can practice here. Hi, my name is. That's so tepid. Let's try one more time. Hi, my name is. That's good. You are, you are battle-tested, Jesus-loved stranger. You are not going to be tepid, okay? Some of you might meet people who've been in the church for decades at that handshake. That'd be okay. You'd meet a new friend who you've been here all this time and didn't know each other. Others, what would it mean to embrace loving strangers? And then the altar, what would it mean to look like a stranger in your schedule? If someone looked at your schedule or my schedule, and they said, well, that is something you do this month. That is, it could be this study guide that Johnny's put together. Could be slot of time. Could be lunch at work. Could be what would it mean like again to step away from the past, to identify with the God who you serve in such a way that all the land knows this is the altar that we worship at. This is the Lord we serve. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we can only imagine a little bit what it meant for you, Jesus, to leave your Father's side, to come to earth in the flesh. We would like to be responsive to your love. We would like to love the strangers, Lord. We would like to see renewal and revival happen in Vienna. I thank you for the myriad of ways these men and women of all various ages live locally passionately for you and we do offer this month to you as for this church and for our church and for your kingdom people here in Washington D.C. Lord may we be marked by the altars we build may we be passionate about loving the strangers as you did in your holy name amen Instead of a song of response, we're going to continue this conversation a little more. Rod, come on up, and uh, as we share a little bit more about what it is to love the stranger and some of our calling in that. So what I've asked, uh, many of you know Rod's story. Um, he entered this land as a kid who's had to sojourn here. Um, but in the midst of your being here at Christchurch Vienna the past couple of years, you've had the ability to do a lot of ministry and care of 
a lot of the local immigrant population. You've done mentoring, uh, helped us to kick off Camp Chainbridge, some of the things like the Gift Hands project we're going to do later. Last year, two years ago, we brought in Kote, um, and hopefully she's coming back in a few months. And she was able to do some mentoring, some small groups. And in the midst of that, you guys also did some surveys. Um, and maybe you could help us to understand a little bit of that and set up the video that we'll see in just a moment here. Yeah, yeah. So we've been active and we've tried our best. I know it's frustrating sometimes because from the congregation I hear often, it's like, we want to get involved. We want to get involved. Uh, and it's been, it's been uh, a thing of building trust. So we have been in the school. Kote uh, and myself, when she was here, um, mentoring kids, getting to know them, their stories, their families. And these are folks that live here. They're our, our neighbors, right? Um, and we did, we did a survey. And it was a fairly complex survey that Kote did. She did it in kitchens and in living rooms, um, visiting people. And we got a pretty good, a pretty good group. It was 40, 42 folks, uh, unrelated adults. Um, Debbie Tinkham helped crunch the numbers. Um, and some of the statistics were, were just amazing. Were amazing. Um, you know, the, the amount of people that come here um, as minors when they arrived without an immediate mom or dad is startling. Mm-hmm. And, and their stories, their stories are, are the same. In the video we're going to see, which I'll lead with, and then we'll kind of fill the picture in at the tail end, uh, we also did this one project in the spring for the school administration here. Um, where we interviewed anonymously two students that are still students here. And we asked them questions about uh, what was their home like? You know, what are the factors that, that, that caused them to, to have to come here? And then what was it like their first week at school at Madison? How did that go? Um, the project ended up being like a six or seven minute video that they did in service training for teachers here. And the whole purpose was to build empathy. Right, because you can't really understand someone until you place yourself in their shoes, and if their background is so drastically different, you can't. So maybe let's let's yeah. play that. There's there's two students, uh, a male and a female. We've changed their names, um, and and the uh, the young man talks about the factors that caused uh, his traveling to the U.S., and the young lady shares a little bit about what it was like when she got here. So in that video, we see two kids, one talking about the reasons they had to leave, another one talking a little bit about their experiences here. The reasons he had to leave were gang violence, being roped into that, his parents willing to sell everything just to get him out. Um, You've heard other stories like that. Yeah, and it's it's not an isolated story. So three years ago, we started, we, we were able to mentor like 41 kids, only males. The school called us in and let us pour into them because they're the most likely to drop out and I got to know them and I still know them because some of them are still here some have graduated some have dropped out we did the same thing last year and this year with a new group of students and and the story is similar it's the common thread is that because there's impunity in their countries like people that do harm there's no recourse you can't just call the police right and and they're syndicated they're connected so many of the students that we've worked with their parents said you know, and it's, this, is, this is the flow. When you get uh, from elementary school to middle school or high school and you start maturing, right, 
in that passage, they target you. And gangs run most of the areas of the country. They're very territorial. So they'll approach you. And they already know you because you're already paying a toll to go safely to school. Right? So if you don't have a family that has money and a, and a security detail and you go to a private school, which is most of them, especially the ones in rural areas, you're in, in essence paying money to get to school safe. So they know you. When you get to a certain age, they approach you and they, they ask you, <laughs> they recruit you to join their gang. And if you don't want to or your parents don't want you to, there is no recourse. Many families have tried to move. There's one student I'm working with, and he just got asylum four months ago because he had enough documentation to show that his family had moved him two and a half hours to another part of Honduras. But the same gang was connected, and they saw that he'd escaped one town to another to try to find peace, and that's when his family decided, we can't see you get killed. We need to get you out of here. And some of the stories as well include the girl talking about entering here, uh, being befriended by somebody, mm -hmm. kind of the transition there. What are some of the stories you've heard even just about the kids and, and the life that they're in here now? Oh, yeah. Like, thank goodness for people that do reach out, right? We all know it's hard, like Dean was saying, to be a stranger in a strange place. That's if you understand the language and some of the culture. For most of these students, especially ones that come from rural areas, they don't know English. Not at all. Some of them have almost gotten to the last latter parts of high school, and when they come here, they're back in ninth grade, right? So they're starting all over again in ninth grade, placed into classes where they're side by side with students that are working hard, trying to get ahead, trying to go to, you know, UVA, <laughs> tech, these amazing schools, and they're just struggling to understand the subject matter. Many of them, too, um, are here without an immediate parent. They come with a brother, sister, if they're lucky, an aunt, right? A lot of the male students that I've gotten to know uh, rent a sofa because there's multiple, multiple people, and that's all they could afford. And on top of that, they're working full time. So our survey flushed out that uh, of, the, of the adults that we uh, surveyed, you know, upwards of 65% or more work work 25 hours a week or more while they go to school. Many of them work full-time, 40, 45 hours, which is hard because when we try to integrate them through sports and clubs after school, but they can't do that. So it kind of works against them. So in that way, there's also some reunification uh, challenges where if a student's been raised by their grandparent or an aunt in their home country and they're coming here and they get to be reunified with a mom, usually, they haven't been around that mom for 10 years. Mm. And the mom has met someone and maybe married, and there's these, all these issues of reunification, which the school has, has certain things to work with them, but th those are some of the challenges as well. So we as a church are committed to um, being a part of this process of caring for the stranger in this particular um, iteration of it. We feel like it's part of our calling as we're living out. Many of you read this morning, if you were going through the devotional with us, uh, Leviticus 19, which said this, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And it is part of that calling of recognizing God's call on us 
God's love for us, God's alien righteousness for us, how we are strangers and aliens in this world and called to love. And so we're going to continue to find ways to do that as we bring Cote back and some of these other ways um, and continue to keep this in prayer as we seek God's will and God's purposes for us as individuals and us um, as a church. Rod, is there anything else you'd like to add before we go to the Lord in prayer? Um, you know, like the Lord's been doing a lot. And as we bring Cote and Jorge back, God willing, I think I shared a little bit about that. As soon as we get their, their religious visa approved, um, uh, there's some, some clear ways in which God has showed us. And not just physical help. We will continue to do that, right? The gift hands and other things that we do to bring physical help where it's needed. But, but uh, the ability and opportunities to build relationships, which is more difficult, but I think we've got some really good ideas for this year, um, and we'll, yeah, we'll explain those to you uh, as, as we get there. But. So if you do want to hear any more, you can always uh, grab Rod, email him, or talk to me as well. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer and invite uh, our prayer leader to come on up and uh, lead us in a time of prayer.